Welcome to the QB List Fantasy Football Podcast. I am the Editor-in-Chief, Eric Smith, and I am joined by Ryan Heath. We are here to break down part two of our Predicting the News series. Uh, We'll be covering the AFC, all 16 teams. We're here to predict some of the news that you will see coming out of training camp in the uh, next month or so, and some positional battles and just some things to watch out for. So um, if you missed the NFC version, um, please check that out. We released that a couple of days ago. Uh, Ryan went through everyone in NFC, picked out a headline, and we discussed the team. Uh, I have taken the AFC, so um, I'm going to let Ryan do a little bit of the hosting this week. I've got a lot of the uh, stats, a lot of the nuggets here from these AFC teams, um, so I'm going to kick it over to Ryan. Ryan, welcome. Uh, enjoy hosting today. Yeah, this is going to be, I think, my first time kind of in the more hosting role on the podcast. Usually, I'm the one that's staring at the doc with all the stats that I've written down and reciting them kind of blindly into the microphone but you get to do that for once now and i'm excited to have a little role reversal here yeah it's uh i I guess i should have let you start off the show huh that would have been the real hosting uh, experience yeah but i would have no idea what to say it would have been just a complete rant about probably nothing that anybody cares about yeah, um, best best ball drafts. That's what it would be. Well, we'll, we'll skip that. This is going to be an hour and a half anyway. So uh, let's get into these teams. So take it from here, right? All right. Yeah. As you said, you have a lot to talk about here with all the research you've done. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Starting with the AFC East, Eric, what is your headline for the Buffalo Bills? So I think the headline we're going to see out of training camp is Gabriel Davis takes over the wide receiver two role. I think some are going to focus on this running back battle in camp between Zach Moss. Um, uh, he's he's maybe on the way out with Devin Singletary and James Cook, but I don't think we're going to learn a lot from camp. Um, Zach Moss doesn't make a ton of sense to cut from a salary cap perspective because he's cheap and he provides kind of a different build than uh, James Cook and Devin Singletary. Uh, Duke Johnson's also there. So I, I think we're going to kind of see a committee here in camp. I, I think that's what we expect. So I, I'm really more focused on the pass catchers here in Buffalo. Uh, This is a high passing volume offense, and there's a deceptively big amount of targets gone from this offense. Cole Beasley had 112 targets, and Emmanuel Sanders had 72 last year. So there's a big piece of the pie here. I understand not wanting to overreact to Gabe Davis and his playoff explosion, but he's only 23. He was a fourth-round pick, and he scored 13 touchdowns on 125 targets. So I I, I think he's in a pretty good spot to take a big leap in camp. He's going to look better on the field, I think, than Isaiah McKenzie, Jamison Crowder. Like they've had their moments, but I, I think he's a different level athlete. Uh, Khalil Shakir is a promising rookie, but he's a fifth rounder. So I think once they get on the field in camp, we're really going to see Gabe Davis take a leap, which is kind of expected. But I, I think that's going to be the buzz coming out of Buffalo's camp here. So um, in my opinion, it, it really just comes down to how, how high is Gabriel Davis going to go? Uh, he's currently wide receiver 24, uh, ADP early fifth round for um, underdog. So I don't know. I could see him climbing into the top 20 receivers if this hype really takes off. So that's what I'm watching. I, I just, it's going to happen. I think he's going to get more expensive and I'd be surprised if any of these other receivers really steal that many targets in, in training camp and preseason. I think you're correct that the only thing anybody is going to talk about for months and months and months on the bills is Gabe Davis. Uh, where are you at on him? As you mentioned, his ADP is just a helium balloon that does not seem to stop no matter what happens. Uh, you mentioned Isaiah McKenzie, Jamison Crowder as potential guys that could give him a little bit of competition. If Gabe Davis doesn't break out, do you think that somebody else will? Or do you think it's just a situation where if it's not Gabe Davis, it's nobody? 
that's what I believe. If it's not Gabe Davis, it's nobody. I do think that this target competition is going to matter more during the season. Uh, I do think that Jameson Crowder, Isaiah McKenzie, Khalil Shakir can chip into his work enough to be annoying. And obviously we've got Stefan Diggs there. who's going to take a bunch of targets. You've got, um, you know, tight ends with Dawson Knox. I, I, I think there's a lot there that is going to affect him during the season. So I don't think anyone else is going to take his role, um, but it is going to get chopped up some. And I, so I, I worry about that part. Um, the part that makes me feel better is, like I said, the touchdown potential. He's got 13 touchdowns already in his career. Uh, we saw Dawson Knox score a whole bunch on a few targets last year. And this this passing game is going to throw for a lot of touchdowns. So I, I think that Gabe Davis can make up for this with touchdown volume. And it feels a little risky, but I don't think it's so risky when you're you're chasing this Bills offense with Josh Allen. So, um, I, you know, you just look at some of the names ahead of him. I don't think they're that hard to pass up. I mean, you know, DK Metcalf, uh, quarterback questions. Terry McLaurin, quarterback questions. Jerry Judy, we'll get to them later. Deontay Johnson, quarterback questions. So I, I don't think it's that hard to jump them into the top 20, even though it sounds insane. I don't think I'll be taking him up there, but I, I feel like I need to start drafting him now before he gets more expensive. Yeah, in my opinion on Gabe Davis, I think it's easier to think about him in terms of best ball rather than just like your one redraft league. Uh, in best ball, I think you have to draft him at least a few times. He's the type of player that his ceiling is just completely unmatched um, when you compare him to those guys that you said are going around him. Obviously, the floor is pretty low considering his production history and his prospect profile. Um, but yeah, you have to take some shots if you're building like a large portfolio of teams, in my opinion. Uh, last thing I want to say on the Bills is as far as the Devin Singletary and James Cook dichotomy goes, um, I know you said that you don't think anything out of training camp is going to ship, make major shifts in this backfield, but those two were going basically next to each other in ADP. So who do you prefer? Yeah, it's it's a tough one. I, I just I I can't see Cook coming in and just taking over this backfield. I think it's more likely to happen with Singletary. So I'm tempted to go with Singletary. Uh, I've been pretty down on him in the past, but he really looked good down the stretch last year. Uh, and if he has a role from the start, which they usually give it to the veterans, I kind of feel like I'd rather just go with Singletary, um, kind of carry that momentum over. I think Cook will get more involved. But again, I just I don't think Singletary's going away. And if anything, we've seen rookies start slow at running back. So I'm leaning Singletary. I, I like Cook better from a dynasty perspective. But if you're just talking redraft, uh, uh, give me Singletary. Fair enough. I'm on the cook train and redraft just because I'm really into the receiving upside, especially when you're drafting running backs that late. Yeah. Um, but fair enough. I, yeah, yeah. I think you want to get pieces of this offense overall is kind yeah. of the conclusion. I will say you kind of talked me into James cook during your dude running backs earn targets article that you put out. Uh, if he is just a really talented pass catcher, he's going to earn targets. That's kind of the thesis of this whole thing. So we'll see. We'll see if he's really one of those guys that demands targets his rookie year. And uh, I do think he has bigger upside, but Singletary might be a little more playable. Fair enough. All right, moving on. Miami Dolphins, hit us with your headline prediction. Yeah, this one may not be as exciting, but I think the theme is going to be the Dolphins are moving on from the past a bit, um, kind of moving to the future with all of these new players uh, that they brought in with the coaching change. So I, I think we're going to see players like Miles Gaskin, Salvan Ahmed, Preston Williams, possibly cut or traded. 
Uh, they just have a lot of names here on the depth chart. I mean, running back, we got Chase Edmonds, Raheem Mostert, Sony Michelle. That's three new running backs there. Then we have Gaskin, Ahmed, and uh, they drafted Jared Dokes as well. So uh, they've got a full running back depth chart. Receivers full too. Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, Cedric Wilson is new. Uh, they still have Preston Williams, but then Trent Sherfield and River Craycraft, those names were in San Francisco. I think that shows that Mike McDaniel's bringing some people over with them. So I just expect these position groups to get cut down a little bit. And I think it's going to be some of these names we've known from the past in Miami. So um, I know maybe that's not the most actionable in the world, but I, I do think that the log jam at running back may thin up a little bit by the time we get to the end of training camp just because there's just too many names here. Other than that, obviously, we're all watching what kind of role uh, Tyreek Hill and, J- and Jalen Waddle are going to fill in camp. But, you know, we've got all offseason to talk about that one. And again, like, I don't know how much these coaches are going to give away in training camp. So we may still be guessing a little bit on how this passing game functions come week one of the regular season. Yeah, I think the big thing that is immediately noticeable with the Dolphins is that both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle are going in the top three rounds of basically every draft. Does this mean that we're too low on Tua or are we too high on the receivers? Do you, what do you, what do you expect from Tua going into his third year here? Yeah, I don't think the upside is real great with Tua. So I think he can function. I think he can move the, move the ball down the field and, you know, support his pass catchers to some extent, but I would be surprised to see a blow up season from both Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. So I, I think the real question is volume. Um, last year, the Dolphins were very pass heavy. They had a ton of passing volume. Mike McDaniel comes from a heavy, you know, a heavy run scheme offense in San Francisco. Um, he was a running game coordinator. So they really could just grind this thing out more than we think they will. And uh, I, so I am, I am not really drafting Tyreek Hill or Jalen Waddle, which is a shame. Um, especially Waddle. I was all over him last year. I thought he was undervalued uh, with that high draft capital, but uh, he really needs to get those short targets like he got last year. And if they decide to give those to Tyree Kill, I, I really think Waddle could fall off quite a bit. So I'm not drafting them personally. Love them as players. I just don't know if the volume is going to look the same as it did last year. And they're going to be vulturing each other, not to mention all the other options, the, the running backs that can catch passes, Mike Gesicki, like uh, Cedric Wilson is a legit professional NFL wide receiver. So uh, I just worry that the volume is going to be there on a weekly basis. Yeah. My struggle with Waddle is that he's the type of profile that I would love to draft after seeing him succeed in his rookie year. I love those sophomore receivers that had good rookie years, even if their team added competition, like Miami did, they have a fairly good track record. Uh, But the, it feels like you're not having any room to profit, having to take him in the third round. Like, I, I don't know if we as fantasy drafters, especially on platforms like Underdog, have just completely pumped all of these guys up and there's just no meat left on the bone to profit. Um, but I, it's tough for me because he he's the profile that I feel like you should draft, but the cost just doesn't match up to where you would want it to be. Um, talking about running backs... Chase Edmonds is making the most money of the bunch and he's going the highest, although not that high. Uh, Do you see potential for somebody like Sony Michelle to leapfrog Chase Edmonds on the depth chart uh, by week one? Or do you think that this is just kind of going to be Chase Edmonds maybe week one and then we'll see what sort of destruction happens from there? Yeah, so... 
I like Chase Edmonds. I have not been drafting him much, but I'm totally fine. And he's running back 36 right now. Draft him all day there. I, I like the upside of Edmonds being a pass catcher. I don't think it's so much Michelle could uh, leapfrog Edmonds. I just, they're going to have different roles. And uh, Sony Michelle has proven that he can handle a workload in different offenses. He's proven he can score touchdowns. They, the coaches trust him. I just think he's going to be on the field a lot. Uh, it, it is baffling to me that Raheem Mostert goes before Sony Michelle. I know Sony Michelle is not an explosive player, but uh, Mostert at 57, Michelle at 63, uh, RB 63. That, that one is what blows my mind. And he should be going well ahead of Mostert. Uh, Mostert is up there in age and is a just always is hurt. So I think he's one of those guys like Tevin Coleman, uh, the, the Jets brought in last year. It's, it's someone who knows the, the offense, the coaching staff trusts him. He's there as a veteran presence. But I, I am drafting Michelle in like everything. Uh, he's still you know, relatively, I mean, he's not as old as we feel like he is just because he's been kind of a dusty veteran for a while. Uh, he's still got a little bit left in the tank and I just see a lot of touchdowns from Sony Michelle. So I'd say draft both Edmonds and Michelle, maybe not in the same draft, but uh, I'm all over both of them. I agree. I don't think there's anything wrong with throwing shots at both of those players um, in separate drafts, preferably. It, it's true. Sony Michelle felt like he was a boring, dusty veteran, like six games into his rookie year honestly yeah. if as as a patriots fan that it was how it felt yeah when um, he like bone on bone in the knee like rookie year or something yeah and the whole idea was that he was drawing comparisons to alvin Kamara as a prospect because we thought he was going to be this really skilled pass catcher and that just hasn't translated at all in the nfl yeah i mean we'll get to that when we get to <laughs> next up the patriots because uh uh, Damian Harris is the same way. I mean, he, he was supposed to be a passing game back and it never happened. So uh, <laughs> maybe you can help me figure out the Patriots. Yeah, yeah, let's hope. All right. So, yeah, moving on to the Patriots. Uh, give us your headline and we'll go from there. So I, it was, I struggled to find any kind of an interesting headline here with the Patriots. Um, it, it's a little similar. Like, I think all eyes are going to be on the running backs here. Um you know, there's a lot of running backs here in New England. Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, James White's trying to come back from injury. They drafted Pierre Strong, Ty Montgomery, J.J. Taylor. Like, they're all fighting for snaps. Uh, I just – I think we know it's going to be a committee. It's going to be Harris and Stevenson for the most part. And I just don't know that we're going to see in training camp a whole lot settle out there. So my predicted headline is that the Pats move on from Kill Harry. Uh, they just have too many receivers here, and they're all kind of in the same range of player. Like, Jacoby Myers, Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Nelson Aguilar, the rookie, Tyquan Thornton, Nikhil Harry. Like, there's just too many of them. So I think they're going to move on from him. Um, I'm interested to see if one of these guys can kind of separate from the pack a little bit. Um, I'm pretty skeptical, though. But I I would like to find a receiver, uh, you know, catching the ball from Mac Jones. So, like, if one of them could separate, I'd be all in it. I just – I think Jacoby Myers is the best bet. So – uh, I think they move on from Harry. Hopefully Myers still regains his volume role. And after that, I, I just don't really know what we're going to get out of training camp here. Yeah, I agree. Uh, up here in New England, we think of Jacoby Myers pretty highly. If I had to pick one out that is going to dominate the targets, it will be him. Uh, on Nikhil Harry, yeah, there's if we're talking about uh, predicting the news, this time of year, every single year, there is always a headline coming out saying that Nikhil Harry is looking amazing in practice. He's making all these plays and it is so transparently planted by the new England Patriots organization through their media connections to try to encourage a trade to happen. Uh, it, it's like 
actual clockwork. Like you, you can probably go back on my Twitter. I quote tweet it every single time and call it out because it's so, so transparent. Um, but yeah, I, as I said, Jacoby Myers probably doesn't matter beyond that. Um, with the running backs, though, I, I do want to give you a little thought experiment. Anytime we have a Patriots running back that is nearing the end of his rookie contract, they automatically become a trade candidate. So what would happen if Damian Harris were to get traded before week one? Um, yeah, that'd be interesting. I didn't think about that one. Um, I mean, obviously, it's huge for Ramondre Stevenson. It's just tempting to you know, say it's still going to be a Patriots backfield, though. Um, I know that Stevenson is being hyped up as he's worked hard in the the passing game, uh, work on his pass catching, his pass blocking, all of that. So there's some hope out there that he could take on a bit more of a three-down role. James White is at the end of his career and is coming off a major injury. Pierre Strong's a rookie. So, like, in theory, yeah, it gives Stevenson a window to take over like a running back hasn't in a long time. I'm a little skeptical though. So, I mean, I think it, it probably would make him a better version of Damian Harris because Damian Harris doesn't catch passes, even though he kind of did in college. But um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you feel differently. I'm just, I know Stevenson is a very popular best ball pick right now. And I just don't know if I see the upside that some people do maybe on a, like a few game spike week basis, but I just, I don't know if it happens consistently. Yeah. I, I don't think he has, any shot of being like a 65% snap share type of player. Like he, he's not going to come out and be a bell cow. Um, but I would say this is the reason that you should be stashing the Pierre strong type of players in dynasty because just one transaction like that. And e- even one injury, especially if it, that's on top of it, suddenly Pierre strong's giving you usable weeks this year. And I don't, I don't think it's that crazy of an idea. Yep. Agreed. Uh, I do think it, it's, it's like a lesser version of the 49ers backfield. I do think you want to take some shots on it. Just maybe the cheaper options or where you want to go sometimes. Yeah. And the last thing I'll say about the Patriots backfield is I, w- I know 100% I will not have to rank Brandon Bolden as a Patriot at any point this year. Maybe, maybe we'll talk about the Raiders later. We'll see what happens there, but I, I will not have to put him anywhere inside the top 40 running backs like I did a few times last year. So that's a little comforting for me personally. Yeah. Those uh, four catch, you know, 25 yard games get you in the the back end of the rankings every week. That's for sure. Oh yeah. All right. Enough about the Patriots. Let's move on. New York jets. What is your headline? Yeah. I struggled to come up with anything here because it's just really all going to be, is Zach Wilson ready to make the leap? Um, I, I think probably the headline would be predicting if he's ready to make the leap or no. So does he look great in camp? Does he not look great in camp? Uh, I'm, I tend to be worried about Wilson. I just, I think the offense functioned better with the backups in. I know that can happen with rookies. He just feels like more of an out of structure, big play kind of quarterback. And that tends to not work out if you're not like a, uh, you know, Josh Allen type or a, a Lamar Jackson type athlete. So I, I'm a little um, hesitant on the Jets. I don't want to be, though, because they're loaded at the skill positions. Every position, they've got multiple options, maybe too many options. But the, the headline from camp is just going to be all about Zach Wilson. So if whatever preseason game he plays in, if he has a good quarter, uh, look out. We're going to hear a lot about how Zach Wilson is ready to uh, make that Joe Burrow leap this year, or that Justin Herbert leap. So uh, it's I know this is what every other podcast, every other show is just going to talk about this part of the jets, but it really is everything. It's, it's all Zach Wilson. Yeah. The, the New York media machine will be pumping up Zach Wilson. If there's 
anything for them to grasp onto whatsoever. Uh, this is like an adjustment you need to make in your head every single offseason for these New York teams is what whatever headlines are coming out, like cut it down by about like three or four notches of how optimistic you're going to be. Um, yeah. I, I guess the big thing on my mind in New York is, is Garrett Wilson going to come in and immediately command targets? And if he does, does that hurt Elijah Moore? Where, where are we at on these two players that I assume both of us like a lot as prospects. Um, can both of them succeed or is it one or the other, or is it neither if Zach Wilson can't figure it out? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. If Zach Wilson can't figure it out, I feel like it's neither because this group is pretty loaded. I mean, Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson, Elijah Moore, um, Braxton Berrios. I know he's kind of a, maybe a, a punchline, but I mean, he's, they brought him back. They paid him some real money and he can catch passes out of the slot. So like they've got a lot of talented guys here, not to mention the tight ends. And if, if Wilson doesn't figure it out and can't run the offense the way it's supposed to be run, then I think it's just going to be very scattershot about who gets the ball every week. So um, no, I, I think if he doesn't make the leap, we're probably looking at one of them at best. I, I personally would lean more just because Moore showed one year of, of pretty good tape for us. He put up some high target shares and some games like, Garrett Wilson is about as much of an unknown as, as Elijah Moore at this point. So I, I kind of would lean towards Moore. He's got a little bit more of the connection. If Zach Wilson takes a big jump, then they can absolutely both be good. But I do think Corey Davis will be around and, and Braxton Berrios and Denzel Mims. He's still on the roster. I, I think it's the same as uh, Nikhil Harry, where they're, they're pumping him up, says he's in the best shape of his life, hoping for a trade. But um, no, I'm not drafting much of either, but I would lean towards Moore just as uh, a little bit more of the established veteran here. I agree completely. Moore is the exact type of sophomore wide receiver that I always want to draft. He he will likely be one of my highest drafted players this year. Um, so I'm glad we're on the same page there. Yeah, uh, that's I'm surprised that they have the gap that they do actually an underdog. Uh, I wonder if this will change at all because I mean, it's a pretty significant gap. It's Elijah Moore wide receiver 32 uh, ADP of a 67 and Garrett Wilson uh, wide receiver 51 ADP of 105. So that's a big gap. You could talk yourself into just taking the value there and going with Wilson. So I, I wouldn't fault you for taking the cheaper player, but um, yeah, I, I do like more better just in a vacuum. All right. That's enough about the jets. I think we've tortured ourselves enough with the New York jets talk right. moving, moving into the AFC North. Tell us about the Baltimore Ravens. What, what is happening with this backfield? <laughs> yeah. So my headline is trying to predict seeing the future, what's going to happen here. Uh, is the Baltimore Ravens are going to add a veteran running back. If they don't, um, Gus Edwards needs to go up draft boards. So uh, so let's run down the running backs here. J.K. Dobbins, he's going in the fifth round. Um, he's an RB21. He tore his ACL and LCL last year. He's hopeful for week one, but ACL and LCL is a serious injury. Um, he's not participating in OTAs right now. Who knows exactly when Dobbins is going to be back. Gus Edwards tore his ACL last year. Uh, but just as ACL, um, he is a 15th round ADP, RB52, huge gap there. And I just, behind them, it's Justice Hill, who had a torn Achilles last year and wasn't good before that. Mike Davis is on a one-year deal. He's 29. Um, he was just 30th in yards created per attempt. He had just three 15-plus yard rushes last year and on 138 chances. And he ranked 44th among running backs with 0.71 fantasy points per opportunity. So, like, Mike Davis was really bad last year, and I don't think we should be drafting him at all. 
And then the, the last player on the depth chart is Tyler Beatty, who's a five foot eight pass catcher, so sixth round rookie. And then there's a bunch of UDFA type, you know, backup running backs. So we look at it last year. Um, they got 133 attempts to Devontae Freeman, 119 to Latavius Murray. Uh, they seem to be wanting to go back to a run heavy offense by trading away Hollywood Brown. I just don't think J.K. Dobbins is going to come in and take, you know, 200 carries coming off ACL and LCL injuries. He was already kind of struggling. To, I mean, not struggling. He was a good player, but he wasn't taking over the backfield before the injury. He was more of like a 60% snap running back. So there's just a huge opportunity here. I think they're going to add someone, but I think at round 15, we should probably be drafting Gus Edwards, even though it feels kind of gross to be drafting 27-year-old Gus Edwards off an ACL tear. Yeah, fair enough. I really don't think I've like put in enough brain power to thinking about Gus Edwards this offseason. He's honestly as far back as last year. I just kind of wrote him off for his career. Like this this guy isn't highly drafted. There's not a lot of organizational capital invested and he had a serious injury, so he his career could be over. Um but yeah. it doesn't seem to be the case like it especially if he does get on the field in training camp and we start hearing good things um then he he i agree his adp needs to rise from the 15th round um with dobbins it's weird because it it's hard for me to place where he would be if we didn't have any injury worries with him whatsoever like that that i think that's an interesting thought exercise is yeah. If we, we knew for a fact that he was fully healthy, how high would you be drafting him? Right. Uh, and that is the question. Um, down the stretch of 2020, that was Dobbins' big breakout, um, his rookie year. And he was playing only about 40 to 60% of the snaps and had this breakout. So that's encouraging. He doesn't need that huge workload like McCaffrey. Um, but over his last five games, he scored six touchdowns. He only had two targets during that stretch. So he's going to need to regain that like six yards per carry efficiency. And I think he's going to need to reach the end zone a ton like he was that year to, to pay off. Like it's just, he's those two targets over five games. Like we haven't seen anything change with this backfield where they're getting the ball. I, I just, the, the pass catching is not going to be there. So we need Dobbins to be like six yards of carry and a bunch of touchdowns. So I don't know. I, I, I feel it's a little bit similar to acres in the sense that I want to have them. Um, I think they're talented. I think their offense could score a bunch of touchdowns, but until I see that pass catching role and I'm a little skeptical in the workload, I just, I can't get them much higher than what the third round. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm probably too low on these guys if they were healthy, but I'm just not ready to invest that capital in either of these players. Yeah, I agree completely. We haven't seen JK Dobbins really catch much of any passes at the NFL level. And that as we talked about with my running back targets being earned article that that's what we look for. Yeah. Uh, obviously it's a little hard to evaluate Dobbins um, where the last time we saw him was in a split backfield during his rookie year. I, after that we were painting the narrative of, Oh, he's just going to take this backfield over and be awesome yeah. it, before, before he went down last off season. So it, I don't know. It's it's really tough. I, I don't think I have a strong position on him. I'm not drafting him at the moment. Uh, may, maybe I will feel differently um, in the future. Yeah. And to be clear, I, I think he's a much better player than Gus Edwards. Um, I drafted Dobbins a ton as rookie year. It's just, I mean, Edwards is a 15th round pick. And I think, I don't know how many more passes Dobbins is going to catch. He looks good as a pass catcher, but this feels like one of those exceptions to your rule is the, uh, it just does not seem like Lamar has any, you know, any, 
motivation to dump it off to the running backs because he's just such an outlier on the ground. So I don't know. Until I see Dobbins catching four or five balls, it's it's hard for me to see that upside. All right. Uh, do we need to talk about the Ravens receivers at all? Is is it just Mark Andrews, Rashad Bateman, and then we don't care? Or is there anybody around the back of the step chart that you want to call out? Yeah, I mean, Bateman's got a little expensive for me personally, a wide receiver 25. So I haven't been taking a lot of them, but I do like him. Um, I, I think Devin DuVernay is a little bit interesting. Like he's been on the field, at least in his career. Um, they give him some like carries and he's a younger player. I mean, he had, you know, 33 catches last year. So he's not a complete zero. He, he's contributed. So I could see taking some shots on DuVernay like real late um, in best balls uh, if you wanted to stack them or whatever with Lamar. But no, I, I don't think there's a ton to see in the passing game. They, I mean, they got rid of Hollywood Brown and they drafted two tight ends. Like it, it seems pretty clear what they're signaling to us they're going to do. And if this offensive line is more healthy, I, I think everyone's going to rebound and there's probably some value there. But I would have a hard time seeing anyone other than, you know, I don't know, just other than Andrews um, and Rashad Bateman. I just don't see anyone really making much of a difference here. Yeah. I'll just say Bateman is also in the mold of sophomore receiver that I cannot draft enough of. Um, So I'll disagree with you there, but yeah, it's tough to get too excited. We kind of have to assume that the passing volume is going to come back down. It, It was very it was a an anomaly with how high it was last year for the Ravens, not in line at all with their histo- with their historical rates. So, yeah. yeah, all right. I think that's enough on Baltimore. All right, Eric, we're go- we're gonna move into your home turf. Get- give us the inside scoop on your Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah, so I think it's gonna be a pretty boring camp as far as a, a fantasy perspective goes. Uh, you know, I don't think we're gonna see anything from Jamar Chase that's gonna worry us. Uh, T Higgins is coming back from labrum surgery, but I think as long as we don't hear that he's going to miss time to start the season, like we trust his connection with Burrow. So I don't see a ton here. Um, I I think the headline out of camp is going to be that Hayden Hurst earns Joe Burrow's trust, whether that's in camp or in preseason. Um, I just think there's a pretty good opportunity here for Hayden Hurst at tight end, especially compared to where he's being drafted. He's tight end 24 on underdog ADP in the 16th round or later. He's pretty much free. Um, Last year, C.J. Uzoma was fourth on the team in targets with 63. He scored five touchdowns. Those as many touchdowns as Tyler Boyd, one less than T. Higgins. Um, You know, they started out the year slow. Burrow was limited off the injury. They were run heavy, so it took a while for the volume to really get there overall. Uh, But down the stretch, the last five regular season games and then the first two playoff games for uh, C.J. Uzoma last year, uh, he got hurt in the third preseason or the third postseason game. So last five regular season and first two playoff games, um, he Uzoma averaged over six targets a game. So he was getting pretty regular work there. Um, and I, I think Hurst steps into that high volume passing offense from day one. It's not like uh, last year where it's going to be a run heavy team the first half. So I, I think Hayden Hurst is a, a real big value here. He could easily score six or seven touchdowns, and that's really what you're looking for at tight end. So. Other than that, I think we're going to hear stuff out of camp that Chris Evans, uh, the backup running back um, behind Samaj Pirine and Joe Mixon, I, I think he may start taking some of the third down role from Samaj Pirine because he Pirine was never really a pass catcher anyway. He just has filled it in because they don't trust Mixon and pass protection, I don't think. Um, I, I just think if we hear this hype on Evans, remember that if Mixon were to get hurt, Chris Evans is not going to come in and get 80% of the snaps. Uh, it, it would be a mix with him and P. Ryan. So as much as we would like to see a pass catcher out of the backfield for this Bengals offense, I, I 
I would resist the hype on Chris Evans is what I guess I would say. All right. Well, I won't make the really, really boring Captain America joke about Chris <laughs> Evans, but I will challenge you a little bit on Hayden Hurst. He's he's honestly not the name that I thought you were going to pull out of this pile here. Yeah. Um. So what what exactly are we expecting from Hayden Hurst? I, I mean, you listed off some of the stats that CJ Uzoma managed to put up. Do we think Hayden Hurst is anywhere near as good a tight end as CJ Uzoma is? I mean, look, just looking at his career, uh, his 2020 season with the Falcons, he managed 88 targets, 570 yards, six touchdowns. Is is that like the ceiling that you're thinking or do you, are you expecting even more from him? Like where, where are you going with that? I mean, I think he could score more touchdowns than that. Um, I just, you know, I, Zoma was not very good before this year uh, with Joe Burrow. I mean, b- before last year where he had 493 receiving yards, that was his, that's his career high. Um, he had suffered an Achilles injury, but I mean, we're looking at season totals of, 242 yards, 439 yards, 234 yards. So Burrow came in and Uzama had his best season ever. So it, it's more just picking a player that's undervalued in this offense. Nobody's going to undervalue Jamar Chase or T Higgins or even Tyler Boyd, really. I mean, a lot of people know the name. Uh, so to me, it's just Hayden Hurst is basically free. And I, I, I think there's a list of 10 receivers ahead or 10 tight ends ahead of him that he has just as good of a chance to score seven or eight touchdowns. So I don't know. I, I just think he's undervalued. Um, keep an eye on him. A lot of redraft leagues, you don't need to worry about him, but um, he's going to be a good streaming option. Yeah, that's fair enough. I guess those CJ Uzoma career stats aren't aren't that far off of Hayden Hurst, um, yeah. who, who is 29 now, by the way, going into his fifth year in the league. Just, just wanted to point out he was a 25-year-old rookie. That, you, fa- you're also going to hear Hayden a lot uh, in Bengals camp that he was a former first-round pick, so. Uh, they are trying to hype him up that way, saying he was a former first-round pick. Not mentioning that he wasn't worth the first-round pick, but, you know, he was still a former first-round pick. So, yeah, don't don't get too hyped on Hurst here. But um, if you're someone like me who just likes to punt tight end and I just find myself doing it over and over, like, he's pretty much always waiting for you there at the end of drafts. Yeah, so selected above Lamar Jackson in the first <laughs> round by, by the Baltimore Ravens, Hayden Hurst there. Yeah. All right. Incredible. So let's move on to the Cleveland Browns. Um, this is quite the situation. Just looking at this franchise, um, kind of, kind of from a bird's eye view. What what are your thoughts here? Yeah, so obviously the whole story revolves around Deshaun Watson and how long his suspension is. But we're going to find that out pretty soon. I think before Fourth of July weekend, uh, depending on when you're listening to this, they may have already announced what his suspension is. So let's throw that aside because we know that this offense is going to be different with Watson or with. Um, Jacoby Brissett. So um, my, my headline here coming out of camp is that either Kareem Hunt or Dearness Johnson are traded. Um, so they're both in the last year of their deal. Kareem Hunt has no dead cap and a, a savings of $6.25 million if they trade or cut him. Um, he's going to be 27 soon. He could help someone on the ground or the passing game in a trade. And if, the, if Watson gets suspended for the whole year, are the Browns going to kind of look to punt this year and just just pick up some extra assets? I mean, that, that would make sense. Trading Kareem Hunt, if you are kind of giving up with Sean Watson out, uh, trade him, pick up a pick, and then you've still got Nick Chubb and Dearness Johnson. So I do think Dearness Johnson could be traded in theory as well. Um, he's in the last year of his deal. He's 26. Um, he has a small cap hit, though. So if they're just looking to save money, I, I think Hunt leaves. Um, and that would be huge. Like Dearness Johnson would skyrocket up the ADP. And Kareem Hunt, I mean, who knows how high he would go if he was traded to a team 
that was going to use him like a bell cow, or at least as the lead back. So I think both are kind of values right now. Um, I think we've all gotten tired of drafting Kareem Hunt, but um, he goes in the ninth round right now. Um, I, I think he's kind of a value there just with some hidden upside if he gets traded. And uh, Dearness Johnson in the 18th round, I, I, that seems like an upside move to draft him just in case something happens. And even if nobody gets traded, you know, there's always injuries that can crop up. So I think both Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnson are worth a dice roll at this point. And maybe something happens in camp that uh, shoots them up ADP. I was with you 100% all the way up until you said that you're optimistic about Hunt's fantasy prospects if he does move. I'm not sure there's that many landing spots where he's just going to be treated as a bell cow or a lead back. I, I, I can think of like Houston. I'm sure he would see volume there, but is, is that really better than being on Cleveland? Um, the, Miami, potentially, I could see him getting some work. That might be a good fit as well. If you were to point out a landing spot that you think is ideal for Kareem Hunt, maybe like maybe maybe my imagination is just not active enough. Like what 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 yeah. is it you're holding out hope for if you're drafting Hunt and hoping that he moves? No, that's fair. Um, it's it's kind of like the quarterback exercise this offseason. You, you think that Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo are going to draw a little more attention, and then you look around and all the seats are filled. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do get that part. Uh, they're never going to trade him in the division. The, the Ravens could probably use him, though. But um, you never know what could pop up. But I do agree. Probably a lot of these teams are kind of already filled. And I don't have a great answer there, honestly. Um, we, we'll talk about the Chargers later. They sure could use a, a running back to take a little bit of heat off Austin Eckler. But I have a hard time seeing them making a move for Hunt. So there's a few spots. But, yeah, none of them are going to just come in and take over uh, in, in most situations. So, yeah, it maybe. Maybe I'm a little optimistic there on Hunt. Uh, I just do. I still think he's a good player, and I think he can fit in about any situation in the league. I just I think he's good. He's good near the goal line. He's good and you know catching passes. I, he is he is a talented running back. So I guess yeah, we'll see if he gets traded. He probably doesn't get any better than Cleveland, but it, he could be on the move. All right, so Kareem Hunt, we are expecting him to throttle the ceiling of a running back that's going in the first two rounds. I, I can get on board with that. That that <laughs> feels like something that could happen in the yeah. next few months. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned Baker Mayfield. Is, is there just zero chance that Baker Mayfield is starting games for the Browns this year, regardless of what happens with Watson? I can't imagine it. Can you? No, I, I cannot imagine it. I mean, they've both burned this bridge a few times, and – yeah, if Watson's out, I mean, what happens if they keep him and he's good? Like, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, they have to move on from him. So I, I think if Watson's gone, it, they see it as a lost season. They they kind of cut their losses and just get what they can out of 2022, personally. Fair enough. All right, moving over to the receivers here. Uh, obviously, the, the entire conversation is pretty contingent on who is throwing the ball. But how how do you think that some of these options in the passing game are going to stack up? Yeah, I think it's a mess, honestly. Um, it's going to be a run-heavy team with the backup quarterback in there. Uh, I'm going to be avoiding them all. I kind of took the approach on this one of a longer-term look at the receiving group. I mean, they got a bunch of young speed guys, and then they've got, obviously, Amari Cooper, who they just traded for. Um, he's wide receiver 30 right now uh, on underdog, fifth or sixth round ADP, but I, it's probably dropping by the day, I would guess. Um, but I, Cooper's starting to look like a pretty questionable dynasty asset for me as well. Um, you know, it kind of makes sense now. The Browns only give up a fifth round pick for him. And it's because his his contract really gets expensive here going forward. It'll be about a $20 million a year cap hit. 
And he's 28 now, so if they lose this season with Watson out, Cooper's going to be 29 next year, uh, kind of starting from scratch with Watson. Uh, I, I think if you have Cooper in Dynasty, it's probably not the right time to move, but if you can find kind of a little bit of um, hype in one way or another, I would probably try to trade Amari Cooper at this point just because we're losing a year. He was already approaching 30. He's going to get expensive. And now all of a sudden, the future for the Browns passing offense is just really in question. So um, not real high on him, not real high on any of the secondary receivers either. Uh, I mean, I do think the rookie they took that is um, a little bit more of a closer range option, who I am blanking on right now, um, has David a right round appeal. David what? Bell? David Bell, thank you. Um, I, I just if, if Deshaun Watson's out there, I have a hard time seeing the deep threats paying off this year. So Bell would be more of my uh, player to look at if Jacoby Brissett's out there. Yeah, I will say that um, a, a peek behind the scenes, I, I've written an entire article sort of previewing the Browns pass catchers um, in the scenario of Deshaun Watson playing or not. And the main thing I learned from doing out those projections was that I don't want Amari Cooper anywhere near his ADP this year, regardless of who is throwing the ball to him. Um, he has just never really put up a big target share with the exception of like one year back when he was in Oakland, uh, back when Oakland was a team. So it, it's, it's really tough. And yeah, I agree with what you said about him as far as his dynasty prospects. He, he's a year away from being a year away from being 30 years old. That means he's basically dead as a wide receiver <laughs> in dynasty. So, and yeah, if this is a lost season, then you're, you're looking out next year and there, you probably don't have a lot of room to move him. So yeah, yeah. It, it, it's real wild how much just a half season suspension for Watson, like feels like it affects Amari Cooper's value. Like if you could talk to yourself and say, Oh, well, Watson's back in week nine or whatever. And we get a half a year of Cooper with them. And then they, they blow up next year, but it just, man, that if it really is a full season, at least it just feels like a, it's going to be horrible for Cooper's dynasty process prospects. Yeah. All right. Moving away from the, the quintessential poverty franchise. Uh, let's, Go into the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, Eric, tell us what what headlines are we going to be seeing out of their camp? It's Trubisky versus Pickett, uh, what we're all waiting for. So it's all going to be about the quarterback battle. Um, so all the camp headlines are going to be who's, who's running with the ones, who's running with the twos. Right now they're saying Pickett's with the threes, I believe. But, I mean, that's, that's just how things go this time of the year with rookies. So I wouldn't be too concerned with that. But – um, it's all about the quarterback battle. I, I think they both have pretty equal floors. I could see both of them being really bad. I do think maybe we're underrating the ceiling um, if Pickett gets in there and he's actually somewhat of a first-round talent at quarterback. Um, so I, I do think there's some upside that most people don't see in this offense if Pickett can get in there by week three or four. But I would expect Trubisky to, to take this out of the gates until he throws too many picks and then we, they move on to Pickett. So um, I, I kind of want to ask you because I really like their skill position players. I, I've been drafting Najee Harris a ton. Uh, I really like Deontay Johnson. I love Claypool. I've got him in all kinds of dynasty leagues. Um, just adding another rookie with Pickens at wide receiver. They got Friar Muth. I, I really like these skill position players. And I kind of want to think that we're undervaluing them and that their deals at where they're going. But I totally understand this quarterback situation is terrible. So um, I might need you to talk me out of drafting these Steelers pass catchers because I just really like them individually. I think the problem with 
all of them is ceiling. Like I agree with you that it's it's tough to get safer than Najee or than Deontay Johnson up towards the top of drafts. Um, but where where is like the upside of Deontay Johnson isn't going to go score double digit touchdowns this year. That's just not what we think the offense is going to resemble whatsoever. Um, And there, as you said, there are a lot of good young talents in this skill position group. I could see a scenario where none of them are really pulling away and being like incredible breakouts. Um, Like for example, I think it's absolutely hilarious that they made chase Claypool call George Pickens name at the NFL draft, like reading out the name of his replacement live on television. That, that was just incredible. Like I, I, I don't know what, what, I don't know how to value those two against each other going into this year. Um, but I, I think that that is emblematic of how surprisingly crowded the, this offense could become. Yeah. I'm pretty high on Claypool from a dynasty perspective. Personally, uh, this is uh, the last year for Deontay Johnson. Um, so if he clears out next year, I mean, I really think we're undervaluing Claypool. Like it, he's going into his third year. He's had over 100 targets both years. Um, he had 11 touchdowns his first year. He only had two last year. Uh, maybe if you even that out a little bit, he's got a little more hype. Um, it seemed like Roethlisberger actually like hated Claypool. I could be wrong, but like I don't think he loved him. He certainly did not have the arm to throw deep to Claypool. So he's kind of the one I'm watching this year where it's like, Maybe Pickett is not going to be as good as Roethlisberger from a win-loss perspective, but what if he gets the ball downfield to Claypool a little more? Because I, I I really think Claypool is undervalued as a talent. Um, it, you know, you, there have been some things on the field that uh, make you scratch your head. You wonder if that will keep him from breaking out, but everything there physically uh, points to a breakout one of these years for Claypool. I, I that's not the that's not the take I thought I was going to get from you. I I feel like a lot of people have kind of just dropped Claypool, not literally dropped him, but yeah. stop, have stopped like pumping Chase Claypool with hype in Dynasty. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people are kind of off the train, but that's interesting that you're still on it. I I don't think you're necessarily wrong. I think if you zoom out and you kind of forget about that one play that Twitter got really <laughs> mad about him for, for taking like two extra seconds while the clock was running that there, there is reason to not completely give up. Yep. So this year, who knows? Uh, I, it is going to be rocky, but I'm not giving up hope. And, and this is from a Bengals fan too. Like the Steelers, I don't want to root for the Steelers. I don't want to root for their players. So I just, I feel like this is coming from an honest place for me. Yeah, fair enough. And I, the last thing I want to say is that it, from like a dynasty super flex perspective, Kenny Pickett is pretty much as cheap as you're ever going to get a first round quarterback. Uh, he's, I believe, is currently going after both Zach Wilson and Tua Tungavaloa in dynasty startups right now. And we have already seen those last two not be particularly great. Uh, so there, there is upside with Pickett. I, I'm of the belief that we know almost nothing about evaluating quarterbacks. So when if you can get a guy with first-round draft capital at a decent price, I don't see why you wouldn't, regardless of what you or big NFL draft thinks about him. T- totally agree. I've been taking him a lot in Dynasty startups, and 
you know, I mean, it's kind of like when the Ravens got Lamar Jackson late in the first round, not similar players, but just a super stable franchise gets this guy. He's going to have a lot better chance for success on Pittsburgh than he is uh, going into Jacksonville or wherever. So yeah, I, I would take him in uh, dynasty drafts at a, at a reasonable price all day. Awesome. All right. Moving on to the AFC South, we are starting with an extremely exciting team, the <laughs> Houston Texans. Eric, what should we be looking for? Okay. So this one's going to be a little bit of a thought experiment here. We're, we're going to try to find a running back that we want to draft out of this backfield. And if you just look at the potential headlines that could make us excited, it's pretty clearly that Damian Pierce wins the starting role in training camp to start the season like that that would move the needle the most out of this backfield. Um, so it's possible, like his competition is Rex Burkhead, who's going to be 32 years old. Uh, his 122 carries last year, that's higher. That's the, the highest of his career. It was 74 carries in a season before that. Uh, they got Marlon Mack, who I know um, he has his fans out there. He's been a talented running back, but he's on a one-year deal with $250,000 guaranteed. And then they have Royce Freeman, uh, one-year, $1 million deal. And uh, Daria Ogunbowale, uh, he is a pass catcher special teams type. Like, that's their whole backfield. So Pierce does not have a lot of competition. He's a fourth-round pick. Uh, he's going as RB40, ADP in the 11th round. Like, after him, Marlon Max RB56, Rex Burkhead's RB74. Like, <laughs> is this really – like, can't we draft one of these guys a little earlier? Or are the Texans just so terrible that – nobody deserves to be drafted before RB40. I think the problem is that when you look at all of these players individually, it just feels so unlikely that any of that you pick anyone and that they are going to take over a backfield just based on their entire profiles. Like Pierce, for example, that I cannot, I cannot name a day three pick that has taken over a backfield in his rookie season. James Robinson doesn't count. He wasn't a day three pick. He was an undrafted free agent. So that I, I get the out there. Um, but I, and I wrote about this last year at one point. Um, I believe it was Tariq Cohen maybe was the last time that any day three running back pick was anywhere near fantasy relevant in their rookie year. And that, that was originally an anti Michael Carter take, which had, I would say worked out pretty decently. Um, so yeah, if I'm doing the thought experiment and having, and I think what's most likely is that nobody is really worth rostering here, but if I'm taking a shot on someone, I think it's Marlon Mack, actually. He's an extra year removed from that injury. Uh, he He's the only one on this list where at any point in his career, I've been impressed with what I saw on the field. <laughs> I'll put it that way, even if it was three years ago. Uh, that's a fair point. I, I, I do think it's just worth... Most people are just going to throw this team away, not even think about them. It's it's a messy team to even try to project here, so I get it. But Davis Mills could be an okay quarterback, and that can tend to fix a lot of problems. So we'll see how how Mills looks in the second year. Um, I, I just I think maybe there's something to watch here. Otherwise, though, we know the rest of this team. I don't think there's much to talk about. Like Davis Mills is kind of a good deal in dynasty super flexes because he goes pretty late, but. Other than that, I, I don't know. That's all I got for this team. I have to ask you about Brandon Cooks, though. Is he going too low as he usually is? Or are you in or out on him this year? I 
think he's the same as he is every year personally. So I, I would draft him if he falls, if he makes sense uh, where you're getting him. I'm not running out to get him, but he's definitely a nice fallback pick and um, he's going to give you uh, pretty consistent production. So um, I, I don't know. I don't view him as a, a true number one receiver necessarily, but um, I'll, I'll certainly take him in drafts to, to fill out my receiving core. Yeah, Brandon Cooks is probably the number one player that always finishes like five to six spots above where he's drafted. And then you can go on Twitter like every offseason and pretend like you're smarter than everybody else because you're the only one that sees Brandon Cooks is like a moderately good value. Yeah. Um, but obviously he's one concussion away from his career being over. Uh, the upside is not there in the Texans offense, et, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so enough on the Texans. Sorry, I, I I dragged that one out probably more than we needed to. Uh, moving on to the Colts. What do you think, Eric? What what headline are we going to be getting out of training camp? So I feel pretty good about this one. Uh, Alec Pierce, rookie wide receiver, wins the wide, re- two, wide receiver two job here in Indianapolis. And I think his, his ADP is going to skyrocket. Um, he's currently wide receiver 71, ADP in the 14th round. And I mean, he could move up. Like if you look at the list, he could move up five full rounds ADP. If he, if he really gets camp hype and beats out everyone else other than Michael Pittman. And it's not a real scary group. I mean, his competition is Paris Campbell. um, Who's in the last year of his rookie deal. And as we know, has been hurt his whole rookie career, uh, rookie contract so far. Um, The rest of the competition is like Ashton Doolin, um, kind of the rotating cast of tight ends out there. Like there's just hardly any competition new quarterback and Matt Ryan. So he kind of gets a fresh start along with everyone else. Uh, Ryan, Matt Ryan, I've been down on, and I, I think he, he struggles when he's under pressure at this stage of his career, but his situation is going to be infinitely better in Indianapolis. And I would expect him to be much better than Carson Wentz. So I think there's upside here for anyone behind Michael Pittman to make a jump. And I mean, they've even moved on from Zach Pascal, who was kind of always that annoying guy who was second in the team in targets every year. And, uh, was always on the field. He's in Philadelphia now. So that's one less person to compete with. Um, and like I said, I just, I think we're going to see an efficiency bump and I, I think Matt Ryan's going to fit in here better too. Uh, he's, he's got a 66% completion percentage on play action passes last year, at least, uh, Carson Wentz was at 56%. Uh, that just feels like a good match with the running game here in Indianapolis. So I'm in on Alec Pierce. I, I think his profile is a little boomer bust maybe as a prospect. I, I He's, a, he's an athletic player, but he feels like that type of receiver that flames out sometimes. But his competition is just so low here. I, I really think that he could win this wide, res- wide receiver two job, and all of a sudden you're paying a premium on him in drafts. All right. So since you said that this is the one you're most confident in, this is the one I'm going to push back the most on. Okay. Alec, so I just want to rewind 48 hours earlier uh, when I, I was sitting here saying that Christian Watson is not going to amount to anything. Uh-huh. And I, I don't understand. I, I need you to walk me through how you think these two players are different because you were not nodding along to me with Christian Watson, but Alec Pierce, just like him, probably overdrafted by his team, uh, did not really put up significant production in college until his senior year, which as you alluded to is where we see these guys bust a lot. Uh, I and he has the worst quarterback between himself and Christian Watson. So, why why are we excited about Pierce and what or 
or did I just talk you into Christian Watson? I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Go, <laughs> you might, go, go you might have it. talked me into Christian Watson. I don't know. Uh, well, okay. Pierce, first of all, is, is much cheaper right now. He's wide receiver 71. I, I think Watson's going to maybe the fifties. Um, I honestly worried just, we've seen how stubborn Aaron Rodgers is. I'm just very worried about a raw receiver coming in and then, you know, just getting on the same page right away. I mean, we even saw Devonte Adams struggle at first. So I don't know. I, I just feel like Matt Ryan is going to be desperate for targets here outside of Michael Pittman. And I think Pierce is going to be a deep threat at least. And his competition is just nothing. I mean, we know that Rogers will throw it to Randall Cobb and all these guys, if he has to, like, cause he's, he's, this is what he's been doing for a few years. Uh, whenever Devonte Adams is out, like, I just, I don't know. I, I think the team is going to be wanting Pierce to win this job. They've already kind of talked about that. Uh, they've talked him up in camp. I just think they really need him on this offense. So I don't know. Uh, it's maybe I'm just reading too much into um, Matt Ryan's personality versus Aaron Rodgers' personality, but I, th- I think he's going into a pretty welcoming environment here in Indy. That's fair enough. And hey, I'll I'll give you like the perfect comeback is if we're talking about Colts receivers. You just have to say, Ryan, why are you questioning my taste in Colts receivers? You've had Paris Campbell on your teams for the last three years, and you're going to again this year because you never learn. Yeah. Exactly. And and this isn't even me saying that I think Pierce is going to be a league winner this year. It's just, I would expect here in, in about a month, he's going a lot earlier in drafts. That's, that's my main takeaway here is just the, the runway is clear for him to take off here pretty shortly. Yeah, fair enough. All right, let's move on to the Tennessee Titans. What, what are you interested in here, Eric? Uh, I, I'm dreading this one. I've, uh, I've been very high on Traylon Burks since he fell into this spot with the Titans after they traded AJ Brown, it just, you know, once again, kind of the, the skies parted for him and it just looked like a perfect situation. And now we're dealing with the training camp asthma reports or pre-training camp asthma reports. And he's out of shape and it sure seems like um, his head coach is a little bit upset with him. Mike Rabel. Uh, I tend to want to fade this news because it feels similar to some of these, you know, Odell Beckham getting hurt in his rookie year or Jamar Chase dropping the ball early on. I'm not saying he's those players, but this feels like news to avoid. But if he's not on the field, it's going to be awfully hard for him to to win a role here. So we need to see Traylon Burks on the field in training camp running with the ones. And then I'll be able to breathe a sigh of relief here because I still think the opportunity is huge. So that's the story for me. We can talk more about the story, but it's all about Burks from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, I can tell you, um, at as a 22-year-old, uh, generally you don't develop asthma at age 22. So if this, there, there are two paths here. Either Traylon Burks has asthma and he's like a medical mystery that he just developed it out of nowhere, uh, or this is cover for something a little more concerning, like he he's out of shape, his work ethic isn't there. What like what what do you make of that? I mean, I I know what it's like to have spring allergies. Like maybe that's all that's going on here, but I it's I don't know. I'm not dropping him in my rankings for dynasty whatsoever, but it it does make me think twice in best ball. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned allergies because uh there was a I believe it was a Reddit thread where uh, it was very much internet detectives at work trying to figure out what was going on here. And people were talking about how the, you know, this time of the year in, in Nashville is different than it is in uh, Arkansas, I believe, where he's from. And that's where he lived his whole life. And uh, there was an investigation into allergies, asthma, all kinds of stuff. Um, 
it seems a okay. Do we if it's not asthma? Do we really think that a good college wide receiver came into camp unable to run? Like that feels a little bit of a quick jump from good college player to too out of shape to be in training camp. So I I tend to think there's actually something going on here, and it's a professional football team that can get him healthy and on the field. So that's my default. But if I if I told you I was not worried here, I would be lying. I mean, I mean, out of shape or need needs help with his conditioning can also mean absolutely nothing. I mean, that's going back to last year. We were hearing that about DeAndre Swift constantly mm-hmm. that he is he would had had an injury, but oh, his conditioning isn't where it needs to be. Fast forward eight weeks and he's lighting the league on fire. So yeah, it it's tough to say. I and yeah, as as tempting as it is to throw my hat in with the Reddit detectives. I I don't think it's responsible to have a super strong take here. Yeah. And I will say there are a lot of people that are out on Burks before he was drafted. Um, There are a lot of people that are out on Burks now. Uh, If you are out on Burks like this, you need to be drafting somebody. And that that's the reason why I like him so much is who, I don't know who that is. Like Robert Woods is 30 coming off an ACL tear. Um, Nick Westbrook Ekine was a former UDFA I mean, he did have 57 targets and four touchdowns last year in his second year, so he's not dust. But uh, Austin Hooper, like, who, who are we going for? Some This is a, a professional NFL offense with good play calling. I know they run a lot, but uh, good running back, uh, a decent enough quarterback in Tannehill. Like, there is going to be production here. So we got to be in on somebody, I think, if we're out on Burks. And that, that's what leads me back to Burks at the end of the day. That's fair enough. I. I am kind of intrigued by Austin Hooper this year. I mean, he was productive when he was in Atlanta, uh, not as much in Cleveland, but he was having weeks. He was splitting time a lot, playing a lot of two and three tight end sets in Cleveland. Uh, I I could see him commanding like an 18% target share here in Tennessee without a lot of target competition. That's good enough for low end tight end one. And you're, you're drafting him much lower than that. Like he, he's essentially free. He's, going to be like your third tight end in a super deep best ball draft potentially so yeah I I think he's who I would look to yeah I'm interested in him the same way I'm interested in Hayden Hurst and they're they're going right back to back so I mean that's those are two really cheap tight ends that you can grab there late they're going to be on the field a lot and are going to catch some touchdowns so I'm right there with you awesome all right moving on to the Jacksonville Jaguars Eric what do you think we're going to be hearing out of their camp predict the news we're going to hear that Snoop Connor is filling in the James Robinson role. So we know how these headlines are, um, you know, they're a little over the top. So we're going to hear that he's filling the same role that James Robinson filled as James Robinson returns from injury, or at least the, the James Robinson role alongside Travis Etienne. I should clarify that a little bit. But um, I, James Robinson is working back from a week 16 Achilles injury, and I don't think he's going to be ready for training camp. We will see. Um, Travis Etienne is drawing weight rave reviews so far in camp. That's awesome. Good to hear. Um, he's going to get hyped up and I'm, we need more good running backs in this league. So I hope that continues, but, um, it's hard for me to imagine he's going to be pushed into a three down workhorse role coming back from a Liz Frank fracture. Uh, Etienne's never been a workhorse in the NFL yet. So I I just find it hard to believe kind of like Dobbins that he's just going to just dominate this backfield 80% of the snaps. And there's really not much else to compete behind James Robinson and Travis Etienne. So if Robinson is not on the field to start the season, it's pretty much fifth round rookie Snoop Connor and Raquel Armstead uh, battling for the number two role. 
Armstead's back from a really bad COVID situation. Uh, I think he was out for a full year, but he's back. It's good to see. Uh, but I tend to take a shot on the rookie that we haven't seen as much here. So if Robinson gets his recovery delayed, it, I think it's going to make a difference here. And I, I think there's enough of a workload, especially if this offense can improve some, that I would be looking at Snoop Connor very late in drafts and dynasty drafts, whatever, because uh, I think they do need a change of pace, red zone, short yardage role player here. And that's kind of Snoop Connor's profile. So he's RB82, um, 18th round ADP. He's he's basically free. I've been scooping him up in best balls and end of dynasty drafts. And um, he may, he could get cut. He might not even make the roster. But uh, I do think one of these running backs we should keep an eye on because I just, I hope James Robinson makes it back, but it could be a little while before we see him. Yeah, I want to workshop your headline a little bit. I, I think Snoop, Snoop Connor to take James Robinson role is pretty good, but I think we can make it even better. I think I think it's going to be Snoop Connor to be thunder to Travis Etienne's lightning. Perfect. That, yeah, I, I think that's the story we're going to be running with. Um, but I agree. At this point, he's sort of a why not pick. Like we, we know that there is potentially going to be opportunity here. He's dirt cheap. You can draft him in your rookie drafts in like the fourth round. That's basically nothing. He's a good last round best ball pick that not a ton of people are going to have on rosters. Uh, I, yeah, I can get behind it. I can endorse that. I'll say Travis Etienne's ETP ADP, I believe is the fastest rising of pretty much any player um, on no news other than videos of him running in between cones and trash cans on Twitter. Um, but justifiably so I, I think when he was going in like the fifth and sixth round on underdog, that that was insane. Now he's up pretty consistently in like the fourth round. I, I think he's fine there. I'll still draft him there. Um, but yeah, let I probably enough talk about the Jags backfield. Let's move yeah. into their receivers a little bit. I'm, Cause I'm a bit curious. Uh, Christian Kirk signed for a ton of money, which everyone will remind you of every five seconds. Yeah. Uh, the, Zay Jones is here. What, where are we at with this Jaguars receiving core? Is Trevor Lawrence going to have anybody to throw to? Are we excited? Or are we not? I think we've come full circle on Christian Kirk's contract. I, I think it was a Jaguars blog, but I did see a headline researching for this that was like, after the recent receiving boom, uh, Christian Kirk's contract uh, looks reasonable now. Like, you know, after after these big contracts were handed out. So we've come full circle here. Uh, Kirk's a value now. But um, no, I think, so when you listen to people in the industry that really know quarterback play, they're still pretty high on Trevor Lawrence for the most part. Um, he seems to process the game the right way. He's a smart quarterback. It was a disaster last year with Urban Meyer. I tend to want to buy into this receiving core. Um, the problem is, it's hard for me to know if like Marvin Jones is completely dust or if he's going to be better after last year's miserable performance. Um, you know, you've got Zay Jones. They gave a decent amount of money to, he's going to be on the field. I, they were playing Laquan Treadwell last year and he's back. Like, I just don't really know who's going to be on the field here other than Christian Kirk. Um, LaVisca Chenault's had a little bit of hype. Who knows? They could be trying to trade him. I, I really don't know what they're doing. It's a new coaching staff, but th that's the problem is trying to figure this receiving group out right now is really tough. So I would be willing to take Kirk. Um, I, I think there's only so high you can probably draft him uh, just because it's a pretty big question mark here. But um, if this off, I mean, I thought this offense was going to be pretty good last year and I was obviously way wrong. Uh, if they're as good as we kind of thought they were going to be, 
there's some value to be had here for sure. It's just, I wish, I wish we had a few of these receivers out of the way. Yeah. Kirk is going in like the eighth, ninth round, I believe on underdog that that's plenty yeah. cheap for me. I, he, he has been kind of my firewall receiver where he he's the last guy that I feel good about him just seeing target volume. Um, yeah. So he, he's someone I have drafted a lot and will probably continue to um, regardless of how we feel about Trevor Lawrence or the rest of his receivers. Yeah. And I, I liked Kirk um, in Arizona and I always felt like they were kind of misusing him a little bit. And he, if we could see him just catch some closer passes, not running deep routes all the time, I think maybe we'd be onto something here, but trusting the Jaguars to use in the right way just feels a little scary. Yeah. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> All right, moving on to the most exciting division in football. Uh, we are now going to talk about the AFC West, starting with the Denver Broncos. Eric, give us the take. What are we going to hear out of Broncos training camp? So I am getting a little worried here that Jerry Judy is going to get lost in the mix here with all of these talented uh, skill position players in Denver. So that's the headline I'm going. It's a little bit maybe more of a fantasy headline, um, but I don't know. It's been one thing after another for Judy. Um, he was the 15th overall pick in 2020, but um, bat battle drops his rookie year, poor quarterback play, had just a 46% catch rate on 113 targets. Um, obviously, the high ankle sprain last year, only 56 targets in 10 games. Uh, he ran into off-the-field problems this offseason. I think he's through that. He probably isn't going to get suspended, but um, he's already missed some time with a groin injury. I don't think it's serious, but it's just kind of one thing after another right now with Judy. Um, he only has three career touchdowns across 26 games. I know the quarterback play was bad though. So I want to be in on him, but I, I think Sutton's kind of surpassing him. He already has an ADP um, wide receiver 17 for Cortland Sutton, wide receiver 20 for Jerry Judy. And it's kind of interesting looking back at them uh, last couple years. So um, last year, um, Sutton had the third most air yards per reception among receivers, and he was 14th in air yards per game. Uh, he was getting it bombed out to him last year. Judy was injured, and that led to the 48th most air yards per reception for Jerry Judy. He was 49th in air yards per game last year. So he really struggled with that injury, he was not getting deep, not getting shots deep. And that's Russell Wilson's game is throwing the ball deep. Um, you look at last year, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, both top 20 receivers in those metrics I just mentioned. Um, those air yards metrics. And so that's what Russell Wilson likes. He doesn't throw over the middle a lot. And that seems to match up with Cortland Sutton. So it, he's already surpassed Judy. I'm just worried Judy's going to kind of become the forgotten man in this offense to some extent. Um, when we thought just you know, a little bit ago, we thought he was a breakout candidate. So I don't know. In 2020, Jerry Judy was getting a ton of air yards. Um, and that was the year Drew Locke was horrible. And, you know, they just weren't connecting on them. And that was when Sutton missed the season. So we've seen Judy get featured deep. Um, it's just, it's all going to be about these deep targets in camp. So keep an eye on that. Who's got the deep ball connection with Russell Wilson? Um, because, I mean, Wilson, like I said, he's a deep ball thrower, um, led the league in percentage of attempts over 20 yards last year with 19% of his passes going deep. And then second was Justin Fields at 17%. And third was Kyler Murray down at 15%. So uh, Russell Wilson was throwing deeper than anyone. I don't know if all this carries over to the new offense, new coordinator, but uh, it's hard to imagine he's not going to be a deep ball thrower still uh, in 2022. Yeah, the one stat I want to add is that Cortland Sutton was top 10 in unrealized air yards <laughs> this past year. So that that is air yards, but only on passes that were not caught. 
So that should give you an idea of sort of the swing that can happen here once he get starts getting some more accurate targets down the field. Yep. I, I agree with you. I, I think Cortland Sutton is someone to get excited about. And Jerry Judy, man, you're, you're right. Like he was a fairly trendy, like kind of breakout pick a year ago. I don't know how much of that had to do with like what he showed in the NFL versus the fact that he was from Alabama and people think Alabama receivers are just yeah. built different and like have something different in their DNA that makes them succeed in the NFL. Um, so yeah, I I'm out on Judy personally. I don't really care how far his ADP falls. Um, what I mean, how, how many times are we going to have to hear that Tim Patrick is outplaying him in camp before we actually get concerned? Like that. I don't know. It's crazy to me. Yeah. You even have KJ Hamler too, but I mean, yeah, the big thing is just Wilson throws the ball deep. He doesn't throw it over the middle. I, I think people got hyped about Judy. You see all kinds of, I mean, his route running is good and you see all kinds of training camp videos of him running routes in the past, but I don't know. I just don't know. He, he didn't have a real great 40 time. Like I just don't know if he's that deep threat necessarily. And that could be trouble with Russell Wilson. So I am very curious to see how this new Nathaniel Hackett offense functions if it looks more like the Packers or if it looks like, you know, Russell Wilson, Seattle offense just moved to Denver. So that's going to be another thing to watch, but I know a lot of people are going to be talking about the running backs. Um, It's just, it's hard for me to see us getting something really exciting out of training camp outside of an injury at running back. Yeah. That was where I was going to take it next was uh, (laughs) Javante Williams is currently being drafted as like a fringe RB one. I he's, going around the two, three turn in best balls. Last I checked, uh, is that justified? I mean, we think that he has a huge ceiling if he can take over a larger share of this backfield, but is Melvin Gordon just going to go away? No, I don't think so. But I do think Javante Williams is probably worth the risk. I, I know it may not pay off, but he, I mean, he was getting a lot of passing game work his rookie year, which is a really good sign. He's a really strong runner. Um, He showed everything he could have showed last year. He looks like a really, really good player. And then you just inject all this touchdown touchdown scoring potential with Russell Wilson. I think it's worth it. I think it's worth the risk. You may get some frustrating stretches. If anything happened to Melvin Gordon, then you're obviously you've got an RB1, it looks like. But I I still think he can be a good player, even with Melvin Gordon chipping away 40% of the snaps. It's just there are very few situations in the league that aren't like that anymore. So I just, I don't want to miss out on a player that just looks like the complete package and has a huge upgrade in the offense. Yeah. That's the thing is if this was the NFL of 10 years ago or even five years ago, really, then Javante Williams would probably, we would safely assume was just going to take over the backfield. But as you said, that's, it's just not how most of these offenses run anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unfortunately for us drafting our fantasy football teams. um, It just gets to a point. I mean, (laughs) trying to find a league winner at running back how many are you going to find after then you know like it's at some point you got to take a shot at running back and I, I have no problem taking one on Williams even though it's probably around earlier than I'd like to fair enough all right moving on to the Kansas City Chiefs Eric what what is going to happen with this team there's a lot of uh a lot of uncertainty here honestly for <laughs> for a Patrick Mahomes light offense about as much uncertainty as you can get I think yeah, I, I think we're going to see the tra- training camp reports that Sky Moore is playing behind Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Miko Hardman, and Juju Smith-Schuster, and people are going to panic. 
And I think his price is going to drop some. And I'm not sure that we should really be too worried about that. I just think we need to talk about it before it happens and acknowledge that he's the rookie. Uh, there are three, you know, as much as we rip on MBS and Nicole and even Juju to some extent, like they're professional NFL quality, like above average, probably receivers. They, they fill different roles, but I mean, they're, they're quality players. They're going to be on the field early on. And so I think Sky Moore has an uphill battle and that makes me not want to draft him right now and draft him here in a month or so. Um, it, it's a confusing pass catching group for me because it feels like MVS and Hardman are pretty similar and Juju Smith-Schuster and Sky Moore are fairly similar. And then both of those receivers play and catch passes about the same range of the field as Travis Kelsey does. So it feels like there's some repetitiveness to this receiving group. And I just don't know how is it going to be kind of a committee at times? Is is someone going to win the job and fill these roles like the whole season? It, I'm not exactly sure what to do with this group. And um, I, I think I'm most interested in Juju Smith-Schuster and Sky Moore. I just don't know which one and when they're going to break out in this offense. Yeah, I think everything you said is totally fair. And yeah, I kind of am coming around to the idea that we could see that situation you laid out where Sky Moore early on in the preseason is not playing with the first team. And there are like preemptive victory laps on Twitter from the people that didn't like Sky Moore. Um, and th then I'm, I'm sure that will work out great for them as, <laughs> as the years go on. Um, but I, I think my only take on the Chiefs receivers is that you should draft one of them in basically every draft that you have the opportunity to. I agree that none of these guys' roles are that locked in. I, I think Juju is going to be on the field basically no matter what. Um, but all, all of them, especially if we're talking like best balls, for just, if you're just looking for playable spike weeks, I think all of them have like potential to be, to be good picks. Yeah, I agree. I mean, yeah, there's just not much else to say that we want to take shots on all these receivers. It's just a matter of in one draft, how many can you really draft and which one are you going to take? So that's kind of the hardest decision. I, uh, yeah, I, I think it's Smith Schuster or more for me and I'm maybe willing to just kind of chase the, the dips in ADP and draft them when I can. So as opposed to like Aaron Rodgers, I just, I feel like Mahomes is more willing to spread the ball around and if someone's playing well, they're going to get it. And so I, I just have a little bit less hesitancy with these receivers than I would the, the Packers receivers, for instance. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I think this is very, I think it's unlike the Packers situation where they're, somebody will probably pay off on yep. the chiefs on the Packers. I don't feel that great about it. Um, okay. We, so, we do need to talk about Kansas city's backfield though. Uh, do we? Yeah, we do. I'm so sorry. So the, the chiefs have really have assembled the, the all fantasy football hype backfield from five years, eh, not five years ago from like three years ago with, with Clyde Edwards, Alaire, Ronald Jones, and now Jarek McKinnon recently rejoined the team. What, what do you make of this, Eric? Who is anybody go going to be a weekly contributor? Yeah, it's tough um, because we saw McKinnon take work from CEH in the passing game last year um, down the stretch. So it's awfully hard for me to get excited for any of them. It's hard for me to get excited about Ronald Jones, who has been a negative in the passing game and goes to the Chiefs offense. I don't see how that works great. Um, it's hard for me to invest in Jarek McKinnon, who's had tons of injury history and 
it's getting up there in age and hasn't put together a full season. So, I mean, I think it's still CEH by default. Um, I'm actually pulling up his ADP now because I have not looked at it in a little bit. I, I think it's mainly let's hope that CEH drops and then we can draft him more. Um, RB26, I guess that's right around where he should be, but it still feels a little expensive. I'd rather have him drop just a little further. But I, I'm going CEH, but I, I don't feel great about any of these running backs, and I'm probably skipping them uh, most of the time. I agree. CEH was plenty cheap enough for me to draft like a month and a half, two months ago. He's gotten more expensive. If he goes back down, I'm going to keep drafting him. I'm yeah. I'm not right now though. That that's exactly where at, where I'm at. It's it's not that I'm particularly concerned about Jarrett McKinnon, uh, just because I I'm not sure that he will string together a full season. He, as you said, he's getting up there in age. Um, yeah. But I I think the fact that the team prioritize going out and re-signing him is maybe throwing some cold water on the hypothesis that ceh was only limited last year because of the gallbladder surgery and they're totally all in on him now from from the organization's perspective yeah i'm just not sure i see what ceh's upside is outside of just all of a sudden he's a much better player than he has been. He just has not drawn targets. I mean, like you look at like Tony Pollard, a few spots below him in the running back rankings, like say what you want about Tony Pollard. You can pretty easily paint the ceiling, like blow up potential of Tony Pollard. If something happens to Zeke, I I don't think that's there with CEH. Yeah, I agree completely. Tony Pollard is is now a better pick than CEH that now. Yeah. Now, now that McKinnon's there, I I'm on board with that. Okay. All right. Moving on to the Las Vegas Raiders, get give us the details, Eric. What what are we going to be hearing coming out of Las Vegas? Yeah, I think it's just all the time that Derek Carr and Devontae Adams are spending together, all the targets Adams is getting in practice, all the targets he gets in their series together in the preseason. I, it's easy to look at this receiving core um, and see Hunter Renfro, who's a really good slot receiver who played really well last year. Uh, to see Darren Waller, like it's easy to look at this group and wonder how it's going to shake out. But I mean, Devontae Adams runs routes like Hunter Renfro does short to the line of scrimmage. You know what I mean? Like he is one of the most talented players we've seen in a long time at the receiver position. He can do everything. And I just think it's going to be very clear from just day one that he has taken over this receiving group. I know that's not a hot take, but um, I, I think we kind of take we get, we look into it a little too much during the off season. And as soon as they're out there, we're going to be like, yeah, Devonte Adams is getting all the targets. So that's my hot take on the Raiders receiving core. Uh, Devonte Adams. I don't, he's not going to be as good without Aaron Rodgers. So this isn't necessarily me pounding the table for Adams. It might be more uh, pumping the brakes on the rest of the receiving core. Yeah. I agree with you that he's probably not going to produce as much, but you as, from a cost perspective, you are still paying up for him pretty yeah. much. He's going in like around the early second turn. Yep. So it, are, do you endorse that ADP or do, are you fading him? I'm not drafting him there mainly because if you don't get a running back in the first round, it, it I just like to get one of these running backs and there's enough that I like. I can usually grab there where uh, Devonte Adams, I do not feel certain enough to go for him and to pass up the, uh, league winning ish running back at that spot. I mean, in the past, Adams was just such a guarantee. That's why you would take him over these running backs. Same with Tyree Kill. You just knew what you were going to get out of him. We don't know that this year. And so I, that just drops him back a notch. And I'm going to take running backs in front of him in that range and take my chances with whatever receivers are around. So, no, I, I would rather see him drop probably a, a half round at ADP before I start really looking at him. 
Yeah, Adams is kind of at the start of the tier of wide receivers that I really don't want to draft. I, I'm very much more in on the running backs at that range, just like you are. Um, yeah, it, it feels like if you don't get Cup, Jefferson, or Chase, um, I, I'd maybe just rather wait till the, I don't know, third round? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I agree completely. I, I don't. I think it's pretty flat from Adams to, like, I don't know, Michael Pittman or so. Around, yep. or Keenan Allen around that range. Um, yep. All right. Mo- moving over to the backfield, Eric, are you going to talk me into Josh Jacobs? <laughs> no, uh, they have too many running backs. There's a few teams like this and I tried to find someone they could cut and I don't know who that's going to be. Um, they've got Josh Jacobs. They've got Kenyon Drake. They brought over Brandon Bolden. There he is. Uh, they also drafted uh, Zamir White. I believe he was a Fourth round pick could have been a third, but um, they used a little bit of draft capital on him. They have Amir Abdullah. They just brought in for some reason. We've seen him catch passes. Like there's too many running backs here. And I tried to find someone they could cut. Like I think Kenyon Drake would make the most sense from a roster construction standpoint, but um, his contract doesn't really make sense to cut him. Like they wouldn't really be saving much money. So I think it's going to be a mess this year. Um, You got Josh McDaniels. Maybe he brings the committee approach. Who knows? So. I don't know. I, I I think long-term Zamir White is probably undervalued because both Jacobs and Drake are probably gone after this year. Um, so maybe dynasty wise, pick up Zamir White cheap. But uh, as far as this year goes, I think it's going to be a mess. And I think Josh Jacobs is going to go too early for my taste. Um, all right. I'm mostly in lockstep with you there, but I will disagree on Zamir White being of any dynasty value, because I think the Raiders are most likely to draft a running back in the first round next spring. It, it makes so much sense. This is, this is a classic Josh Daniels roster construction move. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not a big, I'm not a big Josh McDaniels fan, yeah. uh, by the way. Um, so yeah, I, I just, and this kind of goes for a lot of running backs that aren't currently at the top of depth charts. I, I think a lot of value is going to be wiped out by this 2023 running back class. So it yeah. get, gets me concerned trying to think further ahead than that at the running back position right now. Yeah, I get that. I, I guess it's just when you've got deep benches and dynasty, you got to take shots on some running backs somewhere. Uh, so that's what makes me tempted. And someone like Zamir White is young, young compared to most of the running backs you're going to get to dynasty league. Um, he's got, you know, the position clears out next year. Maybe there's an injury this year. He gets a little time and presses, and then you've got a player. But I agree. There's there's nothing necessarily about Zamir White that uh, I'm running out to draft him because of. It's just the situation. Maybe in 2023 looks a little better. But, yeah, I'm right there with you. All right. Well, yeah, I think the only other thing to say is that there will probably be a week where I have to rank Brandon Bolden, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I can see this backfield going that direction as well. Um, all right. Finally, moving on to the Los Angeles Chargers. Eric, give give us your last headline of this podcast. Yeah, this is another one. I struggled to find some kind of hot take headline here for the Chargers. Um, and as much as you just shot down a, a third or fourth round rookie in Zamir White, uh, it's similar here. But um, I think Isaiah Spiller wins the backup running back job to Austin Eckler. Uh, and they need somebody to step up. Like Eckler is 27, and he's literally talked about how he would like to see one of these backup running backs play well so he can get a break every once in a while. He wants to extend his career. Eckler's a great pass catcher, but they could use someone to eat up some carries between the tackles. 
Um, and that kind of to go along with that, maybe someone who scores some touchdowns. And so this Chargers offense um, could just take off this year. I mean, it already took off last year and it could really light the league on fire this year. And I think that's a backup running back position you want to monitor. So um, they've thrown picks at the, the position recently. Joshua Kelly, fourth round pick in 2020 has not looked good. Larry Roundtree in the sixth round last year has not looked good. Now they draft Isaiah, Isaiah Spiller in the fourth round. So I know that his, his draft profile doesn't suggest a breakout. I just think this offense is such that you could get some touchdown weeks out of him. And uh, it, it, just by default, he may be better than these other running backs. So keep an eye on Isaiah Spiller. There's obviously some stuff about the passing game, but um, that's my look at the backfield. Yeah, I agree that the Chargers pr- pretty much every year are a situation that you need to be aware of from a handcuff perspective. I'd also agree that Isaiah Spiller is who I want out of this group. I, I'll, I mean, I'll take the player that we haven't seen just fumble and get benched immediately and then go back into obscurity over the players that we have seen do that. Yeah. Uh, but I think it, I think Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree did that in like back-to-back weeks last year. It, it was quite, it was quite the ride. Um, yeah. So yeah, I not a whole lot to add on the backfield, but moving into the pass catchers, what, what are your thoughts? I think there's some, I think there's some intrigue here uh, behind Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to talk about these receivers all offseason. It's another one of those where I just don't know that we're going to get necessarily a headline out of camp. We'll see. Um, because, I mean, it's going to be Mike Williams and Keenan Allen soaking up all the targets here. Um, but I am interested in the number three battle. Uh, Josh Palmer and Jalen Guyton, I would imagine, would be the uh, the ones battling for that third receiver. Palmer, I think, has got a little more of an overall game. Guyton's kind of the, the deep threat. But um, I would take shots on Josh Palmer in drafts, and I would also take shots on Gerald Everett at tight end. I suspect that maybe Jared Cook is just really, really just done. He's toast, and uh, he did not look good to me last year. And Gerald Everett look, could look really good in this offense by comparison. He, he's inconsistent. He'll drop the ball from time to time, but I could see some spike weeks. So I am looking at these secondary options because I think there's a ton of uh, potential value here. I just I, – I don't know. I kind of don't know – I mean, unless just short of them coming out and saying Josh Palmer is our third receiver, I, I feel like it's going to be fluctuating early on and maybe we don't know much until week four or something. Yeah, I will also endorse throwing shots on Josh Palmer and Gerald Everett. Um, I, I think Everett's probably going to be my highest drafted tight end this offseason. And I, I have a terrible record with trying to draft tight ends late. Um, I, I guess we all kind of do, but. Yeah. yeah, this this is the exact type of situation where there is no tertiary option in the passing game, uh, unless you count Austin Eckler, I guess. But yeah. the, that is kind of the answer, actually. That, <laughs> But yeah. if, if someone does emerge, then this offense is such that they will be fantasy relevant if they're commanding a, any sort of relevant target share. Yeah, that's a good point. Kind of like how the Chiefs, uh, who's their wide receiver one? It's it's Travis Kelsey. It's kind of the same here. <laughs> Eckler is the, the wide receiver three. But yeah, it's it's certainly worth keeping an eye on. Um, I don't know. It, it I, I think Everett has just burned us all so many years that we're probably all out on him to some extent. And that tight ends develop late. So I, I would still be um, looking at Gerald Everett, even if he's burnt you in years past. So he's burned us on a couple of different teams. So uh, this is his third team. Maybe he figures, figures it out this year. 
Yeah, no, and that that really is what it is with the tight ends is that they will always finally break out just when everybody has gotten off of them. That that's why I know that Irv Smith and Cole Komet aren't going to break out this year because people are still on them. It'll whenever whenever everybody is finally done with them is when it's going to happen. And yeah, I it's sounding like I, I it's sounding like from your perspective that a lot of people are out on Gerald Everett. So maybe that maybe that is good for me and all my best ball teams. We'll we'll have to see. Yeah, I mean, what's the, where's he at ADP wise? He's still tight end eighteen. I mean, that's way down there. So, I mean, Robert Tunyon's going ahead of him. So, um, yeah, he's he's people are kind of avoiding him. One one last note is this seems like a team that could get a veteran receiver late, right? Whether it's in camp or a trade. I mean, they're going for they're going for a Super Bowl this year. There's not a ton of depth if something happens to Keenan Allen or. Uh, Mike Williams. I mean, could they be looking at one of these veteran receivers that hadn't been signed? Uh, yeah. I mean, maybe somebody that hasn't been signed or as a callback to our previous podcast, I, I think LA kind of makes sense for Kenny Galladay. What do we, what do we think about that? Like that, that if the giants wish to move on from him, uh, I mean, he has a pretty low cap hit this year. If this is when the chargers are wanting to push all their chips in, I could, and it kind of makes sense from the, for the age of the rest of their roster. I, what, what do you think? Is that, is that crazy? Uh, I mean, I would have to look at, I don't know if they would do that if they're taking on a bunch of money long-term on them. I I think they'd probably want to, they're gonna have to pay Herbert a whole bunch of money here pretty soon. So um, I, to me, it feels more like some of these veteran receivers that are still out there. I don't know, like maybe uh, uh, Will Fuller or Odell Beckham later in the year. That that's kind of what I'm thinking, but um, it would certainly be, uh, an upgrade for Kenny Galladay if he went to uh, Sandy or Los Angeles, excuse me, and Justin Herbert. So I don't know. I would think more of a veteran uh, late signing, but who knows? Keep an eye on it because I, I do think they could add somebody. Yeah, and if they do add somebody, I think I become less and less interested in both Mike Williams and Keenan Allen pretty rapidly. I mean, I mean, both of them are going in the third round of drafts right now. It, you're they're not cheap. Like you're you're paying up for a guy that's pretty up there in age in Keenan Allen and has been sort of slightly declining in production and Mike Williams, who has been mostly down his entire career. And then obviously had a big late breakout last year, um, yeah. in, at least in the first half of the season. But I remember being pretty frustrated with ranking him after mm-hmm. like week eight or so. So I, I don't really know what to make of these guys, even at the top of this offense. Yeah. I, I think, that's a topic for another podcast. We could probably almost do a whole podcast on Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, because that's a situation. If you get right. Um, and that can be a, a league winning decision there for sure. Cause they're, I mean, they're literally getting drafted like right after each other right now. So the market has no idea they've thrown their hands up. I think it's perceived that Keenan Allen's a safer choice and Mike Williams is the boom bust choice, but um, we're going to be going back and forth on them all off season. And I, I think we need to take a stance on one of them. Yeah, I, I think you put it perfectly. Um, and I think that's about all we have for today. Uh, even though I am allegedly hosting this podcast, I have no idea how to finish it out. So I'm just going to pull the cowardly move and throw it right back to you, Eric. So you can go ahead and fade out or do, do whatever you'd like. I was going to say, that's the secret. The music fades in at the end and it uh, hides your uh, your poor ending to the podcast. So you'll, you'll learn. Get a few more of these in you and you'll learn. The, the music takes over at the end. So, But yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, like I said at the top, uh, make sure to listen to the NFC version of this podcast if you missed that one. 
Um, this should hold you over for a little while through 4th of July weekend. We just gave you about three hours worth of podcasts. So uh, we may take a little time to uh, relax, enjoy the holiday. We'll be back at it, though, as training camps approach. Uh, we'll try to get you some kind of specific looks at uh, various topics, just some actionable stuff we can do right now as opposed to just kind of the generic, uh, you know, run through the league. So we're trying to be specific here. Let us know if you have any ideas, things you want to look at this time of the year, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.